We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, January 30th, and the Biden administration does not want to escalate tensions in the Middle East despite military personnel getting killed in terror attacks. Joe Biden is truly the face of weakness. This, according to the National Review, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said Monday morning that the White House is not looking to escalate the conflict in the Middle East, even as Republicans urge the administration to retaliate against Iran directly after the country's proxies killed three American troops and wounded 25 others in a drone strike on U.S. forces in Jordan on Sunday. Kirby said during an appearance on NBC's Today, we are not looking for a war with Iran. They may still get one, though. Uh, Obviously, these attacks keep coming. He said we are keeping looking at the options. Biden did not elaborate on his plans for retaliation, and Republicans are now pressing him to deliver a swift response to the drone attack. You know, maybe act like the commander in chief. Uh, So tensions are also escalating on the Texas border, and there is a coalition of 20 red states that are looking to stand with Texas. Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is calling for constitutional reforms to require a balanced federal budget, congressional term limits, equal laws for the public and Congress, and a line item veto. He tweeted this yesterday that it is time for D.C. to work for the American people. I love it. This is what Governor DeSantis has. Had to say. Well, we just rolled out some reforms under Article 5 of the Constitution. Reality is Washington is not going to reform itself. We can hope to elect better people, but the incentives are not good, and they're not good to be able to produce good results. So uh, we are working with the Florida legislature to certify under Article 5 of the Constitution a series of constitutional amendments, uh, one for term limits for members of Congress, Two, a balanced budget requirement for the federal government. Three, a line item veto for the president. And four, uh, an amendment that says Congress shall make no law respecting the citizens of the United States that does not also apply to members of Congress themselves. Uh, The founding fathers never envisioned that we'd have a separate ruling class that would govern itself separate and apart from the people. Uh, They never envisioned that they would be adding this type of debt. And they really never envisioned that people would want to be in Congress for 30, 40 years uh, the way the way things have developed. So these amendments are all designed to use our power as individual states under Article 5 of the Constitution to force change in Washington and to take power away from the entrenched D.C. elites and return it to its rightful owners, which is we, the American people. 
I love it. And joining me now is Jeremy Redfern, who is Governor Ron DeSantis's press secretary. So, Jeremy, uh, this seems like such a simple solution and one that the founder specifically embedded in Article 5 to allow the states to propose amendments to the Constitution through Article 5, ignoring Congress. So what's the overall goal here? So I think the goal here is to take the power out of D.C., and give it back to the American people. Ron DeSantis kind of talked about this yesterday, which is there's really four main problems that are happening in D.C. right now, which is you have politicians that have been in in Congress for two, three, four decades, and they don't really have any plans to leave anytime soon. They'll stay there as long as possible. You have absolutely no balance. We haven't had a balanced budget since 2001. So we're talking 23 years ago is the last time the United States had a balanced budget. This proposal would require Congress to give the American people a balanced budget. You also have Congress not applying laws to themselves that they would apply to the American people. I think one of the more recent examples that you know a lot of people probably remember is Congress was exempt from some of the requirements of Obamacare. And then you have omnibus bills that are basically the norm that come out of D.C. You no longer have uh, you know, just single appropriations bills for single topics or just a few topics you have at the end of the year. You know, And this, is, this goes across both Democrats and Republicans. They just pack everything into one bill and pass it all at once, thousands of pages along. And you know that most members of Congress, other than maybe Thomas Massey and a few others, are actually going to be reading those bills. They just sign them and they pass the buck and they give the administration more power. So the idea of these proposals is to rein in Congress, to rein in D.C., and also establish a, a line on a veto for the president. Because even if a, a president's party is the same as the you know, Congress in power at the moment, there's still things that can be done to help rein in some of that spending that you know, the president might not agree with at that point in time. That's something that we have in Florida. It, it empowers the, the governor to make sure we're not overspending. And that's something that you know, he believes we should have at the federal level as well. Yeah, and all of these things, Jeremy, are are things that I think um, the federal government is not going to do themselves. And Congress, even though we currently have a Republican majority, uh, we don't have a conservative coalition of Republicans. And we've seen that with uh, the the, the real difficulties that former Speaker Kevin McCarthy had with the coalition. And then also uh, now current Speaker Mike Johnson has uh, in terms of getting Republicans to agree on anything and actually use their majority effectively. But over the last even 50 and 60 years in Congress, with all of these uh, different sort of uh, runaway issues and omnibus bills and Um, And and not balancing the budget and the increasing federal debt. I mean, all of these things that you just mentioned, uh, no Congress has done anything about this. And so it's up to the states with their sovereignty and their ability under Article 5 to uh, to actually propose these types of reforms. And I'm very grateful to see Governor DeSantis leading the way on that. So there are already um, petitions under the Convention of States project, and Florida is one of the states that has passed that petition that includes a balanced budget. And, uh, and so uh, Governor DeSantis has already endorsed that project. So why not continue with that petition because it's closer to the finish line of getting that two-thirds uh, majority of the states needed 
to actually uh, call the state legislatures together uh, and those delegates. Uh, why not go after those petitions instead of drafting this new one? So I believe the petitions are probably still in line with what that project's trying to do. Basically, what what is happening here is we're adding two extra proposals as well. Um, so we have the balanced budget, and then uh, I forget the other project that they're trying to do, um, which is also the um, what's, what's so the they, second one? They have balanced budget um, and term, and term limits, limits and judicial reform. Yes. Are there three? So basically, so basically, what we are trying to do here is make sure that our language is in line with the other states that have already passed a lot of these a lot of these reforms, and that's for that balanced budget and the term limits. What we're also doing is adding two on top of that. So we have the uh, requirement for Congress to abide by the same laws, and then also uh, the line item veto. So it's adding extra requirements on top of it and trying to, you know, Ron DeSantis is going to lead the way to make sure that we can get these other uh, two important topics, things that he's been fighting for since he was in Congress, you know, in 2013, trying to get these across the finish line as well. And and that makes sense um, in in terms of adding some of the subject matter. Um, uh, and and I was speaking with uh, Mark Meckler last night, who is um, the the founder of the Convention of States Project, and um, and he's going to join later on in the program um, uh, to respond to this as well. But uh, but in terms of of the overall subject matter, so is this something that the governor uh, has has spoken with other? red state governors and other um, majority leaders in other state legislatures that are on board with trying to get this particular language and petition passed in other states so that we can get to that two-thirds threshold in the Constitution? Yeah, that's something that, you know, going forward, we're definitely going to be doing from from here. He's going to definitely use his his you know, his position as governor to try to champion these in other states. Um, you know, we're, we're going to work on getting them across the finish line here in Florida, and I think we have a, uh, you know, a great shot at doing that. And then once we, once we get them across the finish line, you know, governor will be out there trying to get them across the finish line in other states. And so in terms of um, getting this across the finish line in Florida, uh, since this is part of Article 5, um, th- this petition would necessarily need to have that broader coalition of two-thirds of the states. Um, if this passed in Florida, it wouldn't necessarily have any immediate effect on, for example, term limits just on Florida members of Congress. Yeah, so Florida, Florida here in Florida, we already have these limits in our state constitution. So that's kind of like the the idea is is to limit the power of D.C. So it's still going to take other states to join um, to get these across the finish line. And that's something we're definitely going to need going forward. Um, that's something Governor DeSantis is going to lead on. Um, and, and we're definitely going to see that. I, I, we, we think, you know, at least with the balanced budget amendment, there's a lot of states that already are uh, online with that, and they, they definitely want to pass it. Um, so, you know, that's probably a little easier. And then term limits is something that, you know, not as many states have, have passed yet, but we, we think there's a good chance. I mean, it, term limits is something that if you go ask anybody, whether they're Democrat, Republican, black, white, any demographic, that's something that most people find is common sense. And we think that there's, a, there's broad support for it. Now, we just need to get those state legislatures on board with what the people already believe is something is, is a common sense proposal. So that's something that we're going to lead on here from Florida. That's something, as we've seen, Governor DeSantis has had no problem with, with leading on issues across the country, um, whether it was in you know, 2020 and 2021 for COVID and then pushing back on vaccine mandates. You know, the governor has been able to persuade people that 
what he's doing is the right thing. And it might not be popular at the time, but these are things that are already popular that people have been talking about for years. We just need to get the rest of the states on board to get these across the finish line so we can have the ability to reign in D.C. You know, a lot of people complain about D.C. a lot, and this is something the governor talked about yesterday, which is, you know, we complain about Washington a lot, but let's actually do something to restrain Washington for once. Yeah, and and absolutely. I'm speaking with Jeremy Redfern, uh, who is the press secretary for Governor Ron DeSantis here in my now home state of the great state of Florida. And one of the things that um, I truly respect about Governor DeSantis is that he is such a constitutionalist and understands not only the state constitution, but the federal constitution, that he has not yielded state sovereignty in any way to D.C. He continues to lead in Florida, and he's now supporting uh, Texas as well. Well, by by saying uh, no, we there is an issue on the border, and clearly uh, we're not just going to sit back as states and allow the federal government to to allow this invasion without doing something about it and beyond complaining about it. And in just the last about two minutes I have with you, Jeremy Redfern, um, let's talk about Texas. And so uh, so Florida has actually supported Texas long before um, this, this became kind of a, a bigger national issue over the last couple of weeks with the attention focused on Governor Greg Abbott's response. Um, you've been working with Governor DeSantis in office for a while. And so what has Florida actually done to support Texas that listeners may not know about that other red states should follow? So to to understand the the problem of the border, we have to go back to 2021. And in Joe Biden's first 100 days as president, he signed an executive order that stopped deportations for his first 100 days, which is just the incentives are all wrong here. If you want to stop the problem at the border, you don't stop the, the, the programs in place, the policies in place that would prevent people from coming across the border. So basically what Joe Biden has done is he's invited what is happening at the border, and he's done nothing to stop it. So in 2021, Governor Abbott was ask, basically asking the other states for assistance because the, the federal government was unwilling to do so. So 2021, uh, shortly after Joe Biden took office, Governor DeSantis was there. He stepped up and he provided resources to Texas from the very beginning, from when they first asked for it. And we've been doing that ever since. That's something that he supported ever since, you know, that this invasion started. When you have eight to nine million people coming across the border at once, that is absolutely an invasion. And the idea that it is not is, is absurd. So Governor Sanders has been there the entire way. He signed, he's also signed an executive order to assist the Coast Guard uh, down in, you know, South Florida with, with boats and aircraft to, to watch for any, you know, basically help them interdict anybody trying to come across the border in South Florida as well. So, so this is this is a definitely a national problem. You know, every state at this point is a border state, and Ron DeSantis has been in there every step of the way to try to combat these policies from the federal government. Um, and he's going to continue to do so. He's going to continue to provide that support. Excellent. Well, Jeremy Redfern, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in Florida. So much respect for you, for my great governor, and thank you for the work that you do on behalf of Floridians and also all of America. We will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health share ministry, serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend, too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with anytime enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. We are continuing to talk about the need to protect state sovereignty, to rein in the federal government, and to call for reforms. And I'm very grateful that this topic is getting national attention because of Governor DeSantis's leadership. But this is actually an issue that many of us have been calling for for years, particularly none other than my good friend Mark Meckler, who is the founder of the Convention of States Project. You can find that at conventionofstates.com. And Mark joins me now. So, Mark, um, you were listening to Governor DeSantis's press secretary in the last segment. And the question that I had for him that I would love for you to respond to is why a separate new petition instead of Governor DeSantis helping advance the petition that has been the Convention of States project that was already passed in Florida uh, back a- actually 10 years ago. It was passed April 21st of 2014 that already addresses a lot of these very important reforms. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me, Jenna. You know, I don't know. I don't think we got really an adequate answer to that. I'm a little bit confused. Uh, To be fair, Governor DeSantis has long been a supporter of the Convention of States project. Uh, Florida was actually the second state to pass our resolution. Our resolution contains the vast majority of the things he says he's looking for, term limits, balanced budget amendment, things like that. Uh, We also have a broader uh, application that says that we're going to limit the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government, meaning we can get rid of things like the Department of Education or the Department of Energy, Health and Human Services, things that we believe are a gross overreach of the federal government. We know that Ron DeSantis is a true federalist and believes in those things. So I'm a little bit confused by kind of what they're doing right now. Uh, They say that they're passing, he wants to pass a BBA we have a balanced budget amendment portion of our application, only it's broader, and it does things like limits the federal government's ability to impose unfunded mandates, which I think is imperative. It allows us to impose tax caps and spending caps, which a pure BBA doesn't. Uh, he talked about term limits. I agree with him. Everybody in America wants term limits. Unfortunately, the term limits application now running in the Florida legislature only allows them to limit the terms of Congress which empowers the deep state, uh, something you're very aware of, the power and the, and the evil nature of today's deep state. It allows us to limit the terms of bureaucrats and staffers, and the term limits amendment they're now proposing doesn't do that. So I remain confused as to, to why confuse the issue, why water it down, and why do things that are less powerful than what they've already done. 
And, and I think that's a great question and one that I hope the governor's office will follow up on. And you mentioned, uh, Mark Meckler, that the petition for the Convention of States project that's now been passed in 19 states. And again, you can go to conventionofstates.com. You can look at that map to see where the application has uh, passed. That resolution has passed where there's active legislation this year. Um, and then in North Carolina, it's passed in one chamber, obviously needs the next one. Um, but but in terms of what the what this petition can do that that has already passed in Florida to get rid of the deep state bureaucracy. I want to expand on that a little bit because that is one of the things that uh, especially Trump supporters and I think conservatives overall over the last you know 10 years or so, especially in the last few years as well, have seen how much the swamp has just gotten wider and deeper. And one of the biggest things that that they have said that exit polls have shown uh, for why people want to give voters want to give uh, Donald Trump another chance is because they want him to drain the swamp. And the executive office of the president can do some. But this petition that COS is proposing would really expand the ability of to, to actually accomplish that. And so expand on that a little bit more of, of what that proposal contains and why that is so critical to actually draining the swamp. Yeah, so the third part of our application says that uh, in the convention, it can be discussed limiting the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. This goes straight to the heart of the deep state. And while Donald Trump went after the deep state, and I have no doubt if he's elected, he'll do it again. And I appreciate that. Almost everything that a president can do individually as the executive can be reversed in the next administration if it's a Democrat, liberal, progressive administration. We've seen that right now with Joe Biden, all the things he's done. I mean, look at what happened at the border. Joe Biden used his pen and opened the border immediately, got rid of uh, the Remain in Mexico policy. We are actually, for example, able to give the states concurrent jurisdiction over the federal borders. In other words, to say that states have absolutely the power to enforce border laws and immigration laws. Uh, That argument is taking place now in the courts. We can end that argument forever and give states like Texas the ability to enforce the borders. We can do away with particular agencies, uh, specifically, in my opinion, things like the EPA uh, and uh, the Department of Energy, the Department of Health and Human Services, Uh, maybe even Homeland Security at this point, we need to do away and remove those authorities from the federal government. We can do those things specifically. And then I would say these crossover, we need term limits on the bureaucrats themselves. The term limits being proposed in the Florida legislature right now, term limits Congress, I understand that sentiment. It's a good sentiment. But the problem is if you limit the terms of state or federal uh, legislators, terms of members of the House of Representatives and members of the Senate, and you don't do the same for staffers and bureaucrats, you make the staffers and bureaucrats much more powerful. And unfortunately, the term limits amendment being proposed right now uh, by the state of Florida and being supported by the governor would do just that. It would empower bureaucrats and staffers. 
And and this is why uh, it's so important to know what the legislation actually contains and for listeners to understand uh, why the Article 5 Convention of States has been previously endorsed by Governor DeSantis. I think he's still supportive of that. Um, why I've long endorsed this, um, a lot of our uh, fellow uh, constitutional law experts like Mark Levin, uh, Michael Ferris, um, and others have supported for a long time the Convention of States project. And one of the things that... Um, that, that I know is controversial broadly that I would love you to respond to, Mark Meckler, is that a lot of people uh, try to avoid kind of saying convention of states because people confuse this term with constitutional convention. And there is this fear that that I think is improperly placed just because of the misunderstanding of the term that this could be a runaway convention. And if we call the delegates together from the states at a convention, then they could do something like repeal the First and Second Amendment or or, you know, some of these things and basically, you know, reopen the entire scope of the U.S. Constitution for discussion. Yeah, I mean, and there's a couple of ways to slice that. I'll do it quickly, legally first. You know, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, so so we know about this kind of stuff. We talk about this kind of stuff. Constitutional convention is what's called plenipotentiary. It means all-powerful. They can do anything they want. This is not that. This is an Article Five convention for proposing amendments. It has to operate under the United States Constitution as it exists today. It's limited by whatever the states say they want to talk about. When you hear conservatives, and sometimes we do, talk about the idea of a runaway convention, they are espousing the ideas of the radical left in America. That idea was really first proposed by Chief Justice Warren Berger, the Chief Justice that gave us Roe versus Wade. Unfortunately, it was listened to by Phyllis Schlafly, one of the great women in American history, uh, who had become friends with Warren Berger, and she spread that around. This idea of a runaway convention is something that's espoused by literally George Soros uh, and all of his organizations, Common Cause, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, Raza, MoveOn.org, all these organizations, including Planned Parenthood, talk about the idea of a runaway convention. So when you hear people on the right saying that, they're actually using language created by the left to keep people on the right from looking at this idea and using this Article 5 that's in the Constitution and designed to preserve our constitutional form of government. And this is so important, Mark Meckler, to understand, as as you just described, the difference between having all power to change the Constitution versus power under or provided by and derived from the constitutional language itself. And that's why this uh, type of proposal is under Article 5. This is the exact same uh, as a parallel example of what Governor Abbott is doing right now of saying, well, the Supreme Court got it wrong. Their power is under the U.S. Constitution, where my power to protect the state from invasion is literally given by the Constitution. And so a court cannot override that particular text. I mean, this is why it's so important for uh, for all citizens, not just lawyers, not just, just people who go and argue in court or in policy, to understand the text of the Constitution and what it actually says. And I don't believe that there is any way that we get to uh, some of these proposals in the, for amendments unless we do it through the state's and their authority under Article 5, because Congress is the only other way that we can propose amendments to the Constitution, the federal government is never going to restrain itself. This is why the founders specifically gave states that power, like they gave, uh, they ensured and protected state sovereignty. 
Yeah, and this is really important. The states themselves limit the scope of the convention by passing applications that are limited to whatever they say. In our case, talking about term limits for federal officials, so that's the Congress itself, but also staffers and bureaucrats and the judiciary. By the way, we can also pass an amendment limiting the Supreme Court to nine. I know a lot of people are concerned about that. Uh, it also allows for a balanced budget, but more broadly allows for tax caps, spending caps, anything that would fiscally restrain the federal government and the family, anything that would limit the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. And all the states, 19 so far that have passed this, 15 to go, are using the same language so that the convention is limited to that. And I'll give you a specific example. You mentioned the Second Amendment. Now, that's a, an important one to my family. My son's a Marine. My mom was law enforcement. We like our guns. We like the Second Amendment. And people say we're going to lose it. Well, right now you have 27 states with constitutional carry, meaning no permit required, 24 states where you can carry your handgun into a state legislature, 14 states you can actually carry a loaded long gun like your AR into the legislature and watch the proceedings there. So you have all these states that are very strongly pro-Second Amendment. The idea that you could get 38 states or three-quarters of states to ratify an amendment doing away with the Second Amendment is ridiculous, and yet I hear opponents say that all the time. Yeah, the math just isn't there, and really a lot of things in politics comes down to math, just like uh, the Electoral College delegate counts, things like primaries, and also things like getting um, amendments passed or even legislation passed. It comes down to math. And so the math, you're right, Mark Meckler, just isn't there. Um, But the math on the other side for actually calling for the the convention and the delegates from the states to get together to propose amendments that then would go to three-fourths of the states, uh, three-fourths of the states would have to ratify Uh, those proposals for the amendments to become part of the Constitution. This is why having the same subject matter matters. And this is the question um, that that I asked Jeremy Redfern and and I think um, is a question still for the governor's office, because right now there are over, I think, 400 live petitions trying to call for a convention of the states under Article 5. But we haven't called one. Well, why? They don't agree on the subject matter. And so why would it make sense to propose a separate and different petition and basically start the process all over instead of at least moving forward with the convention of states that has kind of this broader ability to do exactly what Governor DeSantis is suggesting on a balanced budget, term limits for the deep state as well, and judicial reform when it's already passed in 19 states. I mean, the math, 19 is better than one. Yeah, and it, it's confusing to me. You know, I'll give you an example right now. They're proposing term limits. There are three states that propose term limits in the way that the governor is promoting right now and, and Jeremy Redfern was promoting. That means 31 states to go. Well, we have 15 states to go proposing a broader form of term limits, which is a healthier, safer form of term limits. I would argue the form that they're proposing is actually dangerous for the republic. It empowers the bureaucrats and the staffers. So I'm I'm not sure why. And I can tell you, look, we, we have over 5 million people in support of what we're doing across the country. And people are confused right now about what the governor is doing. They love the governor. Uh, and they appreciate everything the governor's done in Florida. I think we can say unequivocally, Ron DeSantis is the best governor in my lifetime, and I'm an older guy. I'm 62 years old, so to me, that's really saying something. I think he was a powerful presidential candidate and has a great national uh, future for him. 
But on this issue, folks are confused. We've got 5 million people out there wondering, why is he doing this? Yeah, and, and I think, too, people are, are confused, and, and I even get listeners um, to this program. And I, I previously had uh, Mark Levin, I've had Mike Ferris, I've had you on uh, to talk about the Convention of States project as a whole. And I think there's a lot of confusion just around uh, what Article 5 actually says, what it means, what it can and also cannot do. And so that kind of basic education um, it, it is something that we also need to focus on in terms of uh, combating some of these uh, false fears, I, w- I would term it that way, from people who who um, genuinely have some concerns, and I think their questions are definitely appropriate, but they need to listen to the legal answers and to the response from um, from experts on this issue, from people um, you know like you and Mark Levin, uh, who who say this is exactly what the the founders provided, so that we can restrain the federal government. So, in just the last two minutes, I have with you, um, Mark Meckler. Where can people who maybe aren't quite convinced listening to this? Because I get listeners, and, and I'm sure that there are going to be people who email me today um, that say, you know, well, we're very concerned about this, and you know, no, we can't crack open the Constitution. Um, where can people go to find out more information? and genuinely um, take in that civics education on what Article 5 says and does not say? Yeah, they can go to conventionofstates.com. If they're in support, they can sign the petition and get involved. If they're just interested in learning and they, they want to see both sides of this debate, they can go to our FAQs. I think this is really important. Be a skeptic. I think that's a great idea. But then be open to real information. And I would say, Jenna, Listen to you. I mean, you've been on this issue for a long time. You were early in and early on. You're a constitutional lawyer. Listen to Mark Levin. Listen to Ben Shapiro. Listen to Professor Robbie George at Princeton. I I would say one of the greatest conservative legal scholars alive. Mike Ferris, a constitutional lawyer. Listen to people who spent their lives on this subject matter. Rob Nadel, Professor Rob Nadelson, the the greatest living constitutional lawyer on the subject of Article 5. And then make your own decision. But you can do that at conventionofstage.com. Go to the FAQs. All the information you need is there. Thanks so much, Mark Meckler. And and you're right. Um, I endorsed the Convention of States project back in 2015, so it's been almost 10 years. It's the last chapter of my book, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. So I've been an advocate for a really long time, and I think now is the time to call for an Article 5 Convention of the States. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. But after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on an ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. 
Welcome back. And we're talking about the broader issue of states versus the federal government. And we are potentially poised for a major conflict on the border between Texas and the 20 state coalition that is standing with and for Texas, in my opinion, rightly, because it is literally part of the text of the Constitution that the states have the power to protect themselves against invasion. So joining me now to discuss all of this and whether we are on the brink of a potential civil war is our good friend Aaron McIntyre, who is uh, one of Steve Dace's producers and also part of the company on The Steve Dace Show. So Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. We have uh, Steve on quite a lot, but I always also appreciate your commentary on The Steve Dace Show. Um, It's one of my favorites to listen to. So thanks so much for your time today. Good morning, Jenna. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, so um, so this this border conflict with Texas, um, I know you guys did a show that I listened to, um, I think it was last week, on uh, whether or not we are on the brink of a civil war. So, you know, what is your take on this clash and this stand that Texas is making versus the federal government? I'm not sure if we're on the brink of a civil war. I mean, that's kind of an evergreen tweet the last, seems like, 10 years in this country, especially the last four years or so. I'm not sure if we're there quite yet. There is one thing I think that your audience should be aware of, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But as far as what's going on on the on the southern border with Texas and then uh, oodles of Republican governors joining in solidarity with Governor Greg Abbott, I don't see this as anything but a win. It could be a small win at the end of the day, but I don't see that as anything but a win. Because Texas Governor Abbott, he's actually making finally the correct constitutional arguments. And he saw that (laughs) outlined in his little declaration of text dependence last week, citing specific laws that the Biden administration has not enforced or has overtly broken. So that's a positive development, because I'm sure you're aware that's kind of uh, it's not really uh, Greg Abbott's M.O. to be that aggressive. (laughs) So he might have boxed himself in here, seeing all of these other Republican governors coming to his side. Now, the one thing I think that you need to keep an eye on, last week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis actually voiced his support for a new bill that's going to be introduced in that state's legislature that would allow the State Guard of Florida to be deployed in other states, should other states actually uh, welcome them to those states. What that is uh, important for is that the state guard cannot be federalized by Joe Biden. And so I think that's something that uh, your audience needs to keep an eye on. That's really fascinating. And that is one of the threats uh, potentially from the Biden administration is federalizing the the National Guard and basically trying to take over control of uh, Texas's National Guard and also, you know, other states that would lend support. And so um, so in terms of the the potential conflict there um, in, in terms of presidential uh, power and federal authority versus state sovereignty and and that ability. How do you see that playing out? I mean, that we, we know there's a supermajority in Florida. Likely that bill, um, I would think, would, would pass. Um, but how would this uh, add to the potential overall conflict? So I, I think there's more of an appetite for conflict coming from the Florida governor than there is from the Texas governor. And so I, I could foresee a scenario where, I mean, that's, that Florida State Guard, DeSantis, resurrected that just a few years ago, expanded it, I believe, just last year. And now I believe there's over a 1,000 members of that Florida State Guard. 
I think there's a bigger appetite uh, from the Florida governor than there is from the Texas governor for a conflict with the, the federal government. I mean, I could foresee a scenario where Greg Abbott says, yeah, sure, send your state guard to our state. You can help us uh, protect the border. And uh, Ron DeSantis goes, uh, OK, sounds good, and uh, <laughs> goes and takes over other areas of the border. I could see that happening. I, I could see something like that happening. I don't think, at least in an election year, I, I cannot see the Biden administration having um, having the appetite, if you will, for an open conflict such as that. But then again, we're dealing with communists here, so never underestimate their ability to carry out evil. Yeah, really well said. I'm speaking with Aaron McIntyre, who is uh, one of the producers for the Steve Dace Show. You can follow him on social media at Dace Producer. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, Governor DeSantis has more of an appetite, and I would just say more of the leadership qualities and capabilities than uh, Governor Abbott. It, it seems like, and, and I don't necessarily, you know, always like to criticize fellow Republicans, but I do when I think it's warranted, and I think that that's fair, and we should as conservatives not just say, well, we're going a rah-rah, anything that has an R after it. Um, and, and so for Governor Abbott, it almost seems like he has been pushed a little bit into this and he he's kind of reluctantly uh, stepping up to protect uh, the border. And his letter w- was great, uh, but he should have done this, frankly, when Joe Biden first took office and, and when we didn't have a, a president in the White House like Trump that was was trying. And, and I think Trump did a lot to protect the border. And so when you don't have those policies in place, that should have been Abbott's day one of the Biden administration action. But here we are now in a presidential election year. And so does this just come down to the appetite for bold leadership? Yeah, this is all about political will. And I think you actually heard Abbott in some of his comments, at least reading between the lines. I think he kind of understands that on some level, and that's a good development. But you're absolutely right. This has been going on for three years now. At least at least 8 million illegals are in our country now under the Biden administration. I mean, the next step of escalation, in my mind, is not just securing the border, which Texas could do. They, they could do that. It's also instantaneous deportations of illegal aliens. But the reason why this moment, I didn't poo-poo this right from the get-go, as some have, is because I think, and this is the small win that I was talking about is a possibility here, I think this is actually an opportunity to show these Republican governors on the right that not only is it right, it's also popular with your people to defy unjust edicts from the federal government. You're normalizing the language of defying tyrants. I think that's at the very least the smallest win when it comes to what's going on in Texas right now. Absolutely. And and that's what I don't get about Republicans overall is why they're oftentimes so weak and feckless. Because when we look at the overall GOP base, uh, whether or not they're people like me who have unaffiliated actually in terms of my voter registration from the Republican Party, um, I'm still a conservative. And so that means by and large, I'm going to vote Republican, right? Because that those are going to be the conservatives that are running. Um, but overall, I mean, when you look at the electorate and you look at their genuine base. These are people who want bold action. This is why Governor DeSantis is the most popular Republican governor in the country. This is why Kim Reynolds is so popular. This is why when Greg Abbott actually steps up to the plate, it is met with, you know, with wide applause and people saying, why didn't he do this three years ago? So what is wrong? And I know we only have 10 minutes, Aaron. So so um, so what is wrong, though, in general with Republicans that they can't seem to understand 
that their popularity is necessarily tied to actually doing their job effectively? Well, as you said, we only have 10 minutes. <laughs> there are several <laughs> several reasons, and I'll maybe list two or three here. And uh, the last one is not going to be uh, super uh, popular, I don't think, but I think it's the truth, and I think it needs to be said. I mean, there's always just the allure of, uh, doing what your donors tell you to do. We know that the Republican donor class, they are just fine with illegal immigration because it means cheap labor. Heck, even the Democrats understand this as well. You heard Jerry Nadler just a couple of weeks ago just overtly say, if we don't have all these millions of illegals in our country, who's going to pick our fruits? Who's going to keep that going? He also said was, this was tied to the birth rate in the country, and I'm like, if your solution to the falling birth rate in the West is anything other than promoting family formation, uh, get out of here. Uh, so that there's that. But there's always the donor class that has so much of a sway. And then the second reason that I think is, is really uncomfortable, and I, but I think it's really important that everyone understand this, is that our leaders at the, at the state level, our leaders in Washington, our politicians that we elect, they are not aberrations of the people or from the people. They are reflections of the people. They are not aberrations from the people. They are reflections of the people. At the end of the day, we still do live. Now, it's decaying, but we still do live in a constitutional republic where we, the people, have a say in who we send to represent us, either in the levers of power at the state level or the federal level. At the end of the day, it's going to take enough of us understanding that, hey, you're not getting the job done. We're going to primary the heck out of you, and we're going to make an example of you. It's going to take that level of organization granularly on the ground and from the grassroots to really stop these Republicans from selling out over and over and over again. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but I believe it's the truth. We have to take responsibility for the people we put in office. I always like to go to the example of Mitch McConnell. He's almost universally hated amongst the grassroots, amongst conservatives. Now, he did do, uh, in spite of himself, he, he was actually able to hold off uh, Merrick Garland from getting on the Supreme Court. And thank God for that. But that's like one accomplishment that conservatives are happy about in his, what, 20-plus year career in Washington, D.C. But I always say somebody in Kentucky is voting for him. And in fact, a lot of people in Kentucky are voting for him. It's examples like that. I mean, heck, in my own backyard, lest uh, the Kentuckians uh, think I'm picking on them, a lot of people vote for Joni Ernst. She's a rhino as well. It's just going to take a lot of organization and a lot of discernment on the part of Republican voters to say, these guys aren't getting the job done. No, I don't care how many times you advertise on the t television. I'm going to primary you. And that's what it's going to take to get better candidates and then better leaders in these uh, elected offices. And Aaron McIntyre, I think the key word that you just said is discernment. And for Christians, that becomes especially important, uh, not just for conservatives more broadly, but for Christians. And I think that we have too much and too often bought into this term that you also used, uh, rhino or Republican in name only, uh, to mean anybody that disagrees with Donald Trump or anybody who uh, disagrees with one issue that that I hold very dear. And and mm -hmm. so we're we're manipulating that to not genuinely have discernment 
of who to primary and who is actually advancing the conservative cause in Washington. I think of um, our good friend, Congressman Thomas Massey, who was just on this show um, late last week, and he's getting primaried. And there's some attempt just because he endorsed Governor DeSantis in the uh, in the presidential primary that he's a rhino because of that. But you look at his conservative voting record, he's literally at the top of 538. And 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 that to me just speaks of something other than discernment. Yeah, I, I, honestly, Jenna, I threw the term around rhino. People like you and me are, are the rhinos now. I mean, I was <laughs> a registered independent up until about uh, two weeks ago when I had to register as a Republican for the Iowa caucuses. We are the rhinos now. I, I mean, what did the rhino, what, what did rhino mean? Republican in name only mean about ten years ago. It meant people like the McConnells. It meant the establishment. Now it's it means basically nothing. It's kind of like the word woman now. We, we don't really know what the definition <laughs> of that is. Um, so, yeah, it's basically used as a, as a bludgeon now uh, to basically attack anybody that uh, disagrees with uh, my preferred candidates or my preferred pet uh, issue. And, and that's, um, that, again, that's emblematic of, of the overall decay of, of, of this society, not only on the left, but on the right as well. What do our terms and definitions mean? Until we get back to the basics of being unable to understand, and as you said, be discerning uh, what's really going on here uh, in this country, not just on the border, but really what's uh, taking place in our country, uh, which is um, just demonic everywhere you turn. Um, we're not really going to do much better than, than the left if we don't return to some semblance of, of sanity. I just saw, and I know we're supposed to be talking about the border here. I just saw a, a story the other day out of uh, Montana. It was just yesterday about um, a family. You, you would think Montana, that's kind of a, a choice bug out location in, in case uh, bleep ever hits the fan. Uh, a family in small town Montana had their teenage daughter taken away by Child Protective Services. And now that daughter is heading to Canada because the parents wouldn't affirm her so-called uh, gender identity. This is just madness. And we need to recognize that for what it is. And, and I'm just concerned about on the right, getting back to what we were just talking about. I'm, I'm concerned on the right uh, that we are, are not really, we don't really have eyes to see and ears to hear. We are witnessing, I believe, uh, the rise of the godless right, as I call it sometimes. And um, I, I think what we were just talking about, just using terms, undefining terms, just to you know be a bludgeon against political opponents, that's kind of one of those examples of the rise of the godless right. Well, Aaron, I think the only solution to this is that you and I and Steve Dace should get together and produce a documentary called What is a Rhino? And that can compete with what is a woman. And we need to um, have experts on. We need to really delve into this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have, you know, some of those memes of like Mitch McConnell sitting on the rhino. We can say, you know, there there is no H in what we're suggesting. But I think we should start with an African safari to say what is an R-H-I-N-O and then go from there. I think it's a brilliant plan. And and this would uh, actually solve the, the crisis on the right. But. Um, But in all seriousness, I think you are absolutely right, Aaron McIntyre, that 
we need to have discernment and we also need to have the political will ourselves to engage in the process and not just allow the actual rhinos um, to, and all of this dark money and funding from the establishment to pick the candidates that win, like the Lindsey Grahams, like the Mitch McConnells, and, and like the people that I, I don't even understand how they get reelected, but it's because a lot of money. I mean, this comes down to the math, everyone, like we were talking about earlier. So we have to pray for our nation. We have to have discernment. We have to engage. And we also have to have political will. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. And I will see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.